God, uh, today is your day for you have made it. You have anointed it to be the day that is set aside for not just the worship of you, but for the celebration for the kingdom to come, celebration of the work that's been done, Lord. You have blessed this day to be a special day, separate from all other days, Lord. And we thank you that we get to Sabbath together, that we get to worship, we get to fellowship, we get to learn more about you and your divine, perfect character. Lord, I pray that uh, this Sunday school will be a time of learning, but Lord, I pray most of all that it'll be a time of recognizing your omnipotence and glorifying you and, and giving you the praise and the adoration due for a fully powerful God. May you be glorified. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so I have the fun of doing God's omnipotence. I, uh, when looking through the chapter of the book, I thought, oh, God's omnipotence. Like, this, this is going to be easy. And then I started to read, I read the chapter, dwelled on other materials. I'm like, this is pretty hard. Everyone understands God's omnipotence for the most part, right? So um, how do we approach understanding the all-powerful God, something we all will agree God is all-powerful? How do we how do we expand our thought there or fully appreciate God? How do we adjust our thinking for the purposes of today's Sunday school? So um, I'm going to have an analogy or, or one of the things I think of, it's not an analogy, but one of the things I think of um, when I dwell on the power of God or one, that really uh, just drives me in awe to the power of God. But in addition to that, I think... Uh, you'll see that it falls short. It just, I cannot do the omnipotence of God justice, uh, as I can't do any of his divine attributes, but the power of God in particular. So today is, we're going to let God describe his, his omnipotence. We're going to go through the power of, of God through a series of verses. So our plan for today is we're going to start off, I'm going to um, talk about a couple specific elements and point out a couple specific elements of God's omnipotence and full power. And then from there, um, I'm going to open it up for us to talk about as a group, any particular things that maybe you, um, if you witness or dwell or think on that really drives you to dwell on the omnipotence of God, we'll, we'll have some discussion. And then we'll also, after that, we're going to go break into scripture and see what God has to say about his own omnipotence through um, various authors. So um, the plan will be, if you have a mic, um, instead of printing a bunch of papers for Bible verses uh, using the whiteboard, if, if you look like you have the mic next, look at the Bible verse and go on to the next one. If there's not a book of the Bible in front of it, it's because it's under the same category as the one above. So, um, uh, and then Job, if you get Job, um, uh, it is two that 41 and 42 are the whole chapter. So uh, plan your seating accordingly. Um, so where, where I usually, um, I guess, if I were to say, um, think most deeply or am in most awe of the omnipotence of God is in two areas, um, two areas that both the author outlined, but I think in scripture we see rather, re, rather reoccurring, which is one, God is creator. Like the, the ability to create and to create from nothing is the highest possible power. 
Um, it is something none of us will have known, none of us will ever know. We cannot create from nothing. We will not be able to cre create from nothing. There is one creator. That being said, we're gonna have a whole doctrine here in um, uh, about a month from now, we will be hitting the doctrine of creation specifically and what the implications of creation means. But God as creator, for me, I know is one of the uh, fastest places or first places I go to dwell on the omnipotence of God. And then the second is, he's a God who can overcome death, a God of resurrection. So the other element of all of this is that when something's dead, even children, my children know when an animal's dead, it's dead. There's nothing you can do about it. If, if something's sick, there's something you can do about it. And yet God, um, obviously, besides raising people from the dead in his ministry, um, himself raised himself without any effort required, just because of who he is and that omnipotence. Within the idea of creation, um, I, uh, people who have maybe been to my house, especially a, a little while back, would know I'm kind of a fish nerd. I have fish, a lot of fish tanks. Right now I'm down to one that I have going, but I like fish. To keep fish going in a fish tank, you have a problem because they go to the bathroom in the tank, and when they do, it builds up ammonia. Ammonia, once you get enough concentration in the water, it, the fish is going to die. So if any of you have had fish tanks and you're wondering, why did the fish die? I was feeding it. I was doing everything. It's probably because of that. Um, what ends up happening is uh, you, you got to find a way to deal with it. One option is just drain a bunch of the water out, put fresh water in over and over to try to get rid of it. But what's amazing is over time, as ammonia is in there, there's going to be bacteria that builds up and it turns ammonia into nitrites. So it turns ammonia into nitrites, which is less deadly, but still deadly to fish, but it turns ammonia into nitrites. And the nitrites will start to build up over time uh, from the fish going to the restroom. And so how do you deal with the nitrites? You can still bail water out and put new water in. It's a lot of work, done that. But the best thing you can do is plant plants in the fish tank because plants naturally take nitrites and turn them into nitrates and then take nitrates and they pull them out of the water and use it to its fertilization and it grows. So I've always loved this little um, uh, ecosystem you can build if you put plants in fish tanks and all this stuff. And so I've always loved that. But then you add in, um, it was a, uh, I think it was a little over a decade ago, the Yellowstone National Park uh, essentially came to a conclusion they were going to test something out. They were going to reintroduce wolves to the Yellowstone National Park. It had been about 70 years without any wolves in the National Park. What had happened over that time is deer had gotten out of control. They had eaten everything. Um, we'd seen waterways erode, elements like that start to disappear. Um, life was not doing great in Yellowstone. Within a few years of wolves being introduced, the deer started to have to hide now. They couldn't eat down by the water all the time. Well, so what happens is vegetation starts to grow because grazers aren't eating constantly by the water. And when vegetation grows, you have more animal life, birds, beavers, all those things that create additional life. And so what actually happens then after that is trees start growing by the, by the water because now there's other life and stuff for the plants to grip off of. And the existence of trees by rivers actually strengthens rivers so that they don't erode. And when that happens, so, so what they've seen within years of introducing wolves is now the direction, shape, 
and like topography of rivers have changed because of the existence of wolves in the Yellowstone National Park. And then for me, of course, my mind immediately goes to, well, the fish in the water now have trees pulling out all these, all these nutrients. And here suddenly uh, mankind is going, ah, oh, we have this brilliant discovery that God, or, well, not that God, but that science would say, we have this brilliant discovery that you need this whole perfect ecosystem, all this balance from the, from the bacteria in the water that helps process fish waste all the way to trees and wolves and all of this. And the reason I think of God's power is because God just said, spring forth vegetation. God said, let there be life. God calls out of nothing with a word. It's not, if you read the ancient myths of Mesopotamia and a bunch of these others, and you think of these great battles and with the sweat of their brow and the fierceness, all of these intense things that allegedly, you know, caused the creation of earth and their, their creation myths, here you have a God who says, let there be light. He just by his spoken word creates. And it's something that, for me, that is what helps think more deeply on the omnipotence of God. I'm going to read um, Job, a section out of Job that's not listed up there for us, and talk about how God is not just a God who created uh, his creation and left it alone and occasionally intervenes in his creation. God is a God who sustains his creation. I'm going to turn to Job 38. Four, I'm going to be reading uh, 4 through 11 and then uh, 34 through 41. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measures, measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall be your proud, your proud waves be stayed. And then uh, further down in 34 through 41. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth light, lighting, excuse me, lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clod, clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the th their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? God doesn't just, cre doesn't just create and set it up and let it run and wound it up and let it go. God continues to sustain life. So these rhetorical questions he's putting out in Job Obviously, the answer is, no, we can't do this. God, God only can do this. Um, as far as the power to resurrect, it, so in addition to creating creation, we have now death. 
it is almost as if a form of new creation, the fact that there is life again, to bring that which is dead, no longer has life, and to give it life is ultimate power. It's omnipotence. So between these two things, these are things that Tripp um, highlighted in his chapter, um, but um, I, and I would fully agree with those, but the, the ability to create lies through it all, including even in resurrection. With that in mind, I'm gonna, so we're gonna do now our, for a few minutes here, we're gonna open up the mic to anyone who wants to talk about anywhere in particular, whether um, it's, a, it's church or an, a place in time or a scripture or an element of life in which you are thinking more deeply on the omnipotence of God. And feel free to uh, introduce scriptures, and then we'll have our scripture reading after that. All right, so let's get into, <laughs> thanks, Mark. Uh, whoever has the mic first, we'll just, we're going to just pass it down, um, and uh, we'll start with uh, Genesis 17.1, we're going to go through um, and look at the different, different ways, different moments. Um, we're, not, we're not going through necessarily some of the stories, such as God holding the, the sun in the sky, um, the, the various acts that God has done that are, that are obviously mighty and majestic. Some will be hit, some won't. Um, so feel free to interject a Bible verse when the Michael, mic comes around, if there's one that comes to mind. But otherwise, we'll start with 17.1, and we're going to start making our way through these very scriptures. Genesis 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Genesis 18.14. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Numbers 11:23. And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Job 24, 22. Yet God prolongs the life of the mighty by his power. They rise up when they despair of life. Job 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine." 
I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out of his mouth. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the thread of javelins. His undersides are like sharp potsherds. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On the earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. And then for chapter 42, let's go through verse 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Psalm 24, 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 145, verses 1 through 3, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom.
First Samuel 14. Psalm 145, 1 through 3. Oh. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Isaiah. Oh. It looked like 1 Samuel. Oh, that's fair. Isaiah. Oh. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has. Sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I, have, as I have proposed, so shall it stand. That I will break the Assyrian in my hand and on my mountains. Trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them, and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is proposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it, his hand is stretched out and who will turn it back. Amen. Isaiah 44, six through eight. Thus says Yahweh, the King of Israel and his redeemer, the, the Yahweh of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Isaiah 45, 5 through 18. I'm reading out of the NLT, which it might be a, a little bit of, of a looser translation than the ESV. So, um, I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness, and let the earth open wide, so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does a clay dispute with the one who sh sh shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, who, why was I born? Or if, I said to, or if it said to his mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says. The Holy One of Israel and your Creator, do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people who live on it. 
With my hands I stretched out the heavens, and the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose. I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heavens of the army, have spoken. This is what the Lord says. You will rule the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, and the Sabaeans. They will come to you with all their merchandise. It will be all yours. They will follow you as prisoners in chains, and they will fall to their knees in front of you and say, God is with you, and he is the only God. There is no other. Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, your work is in you work in mysterious ways. All craftsmen who make idols will be humiliated. They will all be disgraced together, but the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. Throughout the everlasting ages, they will never again be humiliated and disgraced. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be, to be lived in and not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Amen. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the whole Lord of hosts. This is Luke 137? Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah, Luke 32, seven, uh, excuse me. Yeah, 137. Okay. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's it. It's a pretty good one. Ephesians three twenty and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Revelations 1.8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and his, who is to come, the Almighty. Amen. Okay, I'm going to try this again. Hopefully some scripture has jogged loose, some thoughts on the omnipotence of God. Would anyone care to share thoughts on the omnipotence of God? All right, Rob Roy's on it. So the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 6, 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Right? And so this is the psalm where, you know, you form me in my innermost, um, innermost being. There's this combination where, Lord, I can't know you fully, but I can't even know my own heart. But you know my thoughts. Search my thoughts, Lord. Right? So that's the, that's the positioning. So what you have here is uh, I can't comprehend God, but I can worship and adore the God that I can't fully comprehend. Amen. While Jane was reading uh, Job 41, I was appreciating how graphic the language is and the pictures that are painted by God and that, you know, it isn't just a name tag with a title for God that just says omnipotent and you look at it and you go, wow, he's the, he's the big guy, you know. This is language that paints a picture for us that gives us a sense of how big, and, and it made me reflect on times that I have been around natural phenomenon that make you feel so small and so powerless. And I've been close to wildfires that just the sound and the heat and the smell and the, you know, everything that's going on that you just realize I have no power. Or, uh, you know, the idea of being a, on a ship in a sea where the, the, the size of the sea makes you feel so in, insignificant that you, you just think, I, I am nothing. And yet, our, you know, God is using this language particularly, I think, in, uh, in the book of Job to create pictures like that where it's not just things said about God. There's this palpable sense. There's something where you just feel in the presence of that much uh, strength that is outside your scope that you just immediately feel like you have nothing to offer. And uh, that, I think that's a helpful thing for us to, to sense. Absolutely. And I, 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 uh, I'll uh, turn it over to Rob over here in a second, but I immediately think, though, too, then, of this, the vastness of, of nature. And I can't help but think of Jesus then uh, when you preach through Jesus, just telling it to stop, just stop, like with a word, with a whisper. It's just done controlled. It is his to control. Well, as you were describing that, Pastor, it reminded me of um, Psalm 8, verses 3, 4, and 5. Um, well, 3 and 4. And an encounter I had riding in a plane years ago with a gentleman who didn't want to hear about the, hear about the gospel. I was reading the Bible. He was asking about it. He was, he was, he was nice enough, but, you know, when I get, he's like, what do you read in the Bible? And he's like, nah, pst you know, that kind of thing. And I just said, all right, all right. I kept reading. And uh, then he interjected, uh, yeah, I've just have bad taste about all that. And, all. and then later he said, well, because I said, well, if that's something you don't want to talk about, but if you, you know, we've got a long flight. If you, and later he said, well, what would you say along the, you know? And so I just asked him his view. I said, well, you know, I don't know that much about you. Tell me a little bit about what's brought you to this point. 
Um, and in the conversation, kind of on a side note, he talked about looking in a telescope, looking out into uh, the universe, the galaxy, and it was amazing. And I was like, yeah, you know, creation points to the creator. And he said, but I didn't like it. He said, why? He said, because I just felt so small and insignificant. Which goes to the point that you're saying. And the psalmist says it in Psalm 8, 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And so in verse 3 and 4, it goes from large, the heavens and the work of your fingers, to something a little closer and smaller, the moon and the stars, which are part of the, the, the macro. It starts to get a little bit more micro. And then here's man, that you are mindful. And yet, man is the pinnacle of the creation that um, is made in the image of God. So how is it that he's mindful of us? right? So, you know, these are the mysteries that, uh, you know, some of the theologians, their approach is to search everything, and then at the end, if you can't come up with the answer, just invoke mystery, which is not completely foreign or wrong. But the biblical narrative of God, as he reveals himself to us, there's mystery from the beginning. It's not something that's sort of a default out at the end that we push uh, as a last resort, it's it's the front door. It's the front door. God is beyond our understanding, and yet we have some comprehension that we can't comprehend. It's quite a dichotomy. Grandma? Oh, so we got, it looks like we got Sean and then my grandma. Yeah, and we start to contemplate I'm contemplating that God is all-powerful is contemplating his infinity, you know, that he is limitless, right? Um, so when we think about that, and you can think about um, what are called the incommunicable attributes of God, that these are the attributes of God that we cannot take on in any way, shape, or form. Uh, not, no. So, like, we can't take on... Um, uh, his omnipotence, we can't take on his omnipresence, that he's everywhere at once, or that he's omniscient, that he knows everything, right? Uh, and some people term a fourth uh, omnibenevolence, that he's, you know, all good, or infinitely good, right? Um, so where I'm going with this, I, I just wanted to posit one thing, just, you know, one demonstration of God's omnipotence we know that God upholds everything by the word of his power. The word tells us that, right? If we think of, think of the discoveries of Hubble telescope um, in the past couple decades or whatever it's been, three decades, um, we now know there are, we used to not know this, but now we know there are billions of galaxies, billions like ours, right? And we know within those galaxies, there are billions of stars, right? And every one of those stars is like a sun, Right? with probable planets orbiting it, right? I mean, this is just staggering. And this is just what Hubble discovered, right? This is just what we've known in the past, like, 30 years. What are we going to, I mean, we don't even know the extent of it. And, and you think that God upholds all of that by the word of his power every moment he's sustaining all of that, right? It's just, it just blows your mind, right? Anyway, thanks. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, one of my favorite passages is Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you say it, Habakkuk, Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3. And I won't read it all because it's too wonderful. But this talks about the God of creation. It talks about the God who defends his people in war. It talks about the God who uses not only creation, but he uses it in miraculous ways to save his people. And in a time of trouble, this is a very comforting passage to remember who this God is. It talks about um, it, his splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mount, mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. And later on, he talks about, um, I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of, dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, right? yeah, that word, <laughs> torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, and you stripped him from head to foot. And it goes on and continues to there, and um, at the end he, he ends, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olives' crops fail, and the fields produce no flood, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on heights. I'm sorry I did end up reading most of it. But this is a wonderful passage when you want to think about the omnipotence of God, the power to create and to save his people. And in these difficult days, that's a good thing to think about. Amen. Uh, we don't have to apologize for reading the Bible at church, so I think, I think you're in the right place doing the right thing. Uh, Glenda's going to wrap us up out here. Um, Colossians 16 and 17, and it's the last part of 17 that um, I wanted to just expand upon. So Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 17. And he is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. It's the part, all things hold together. It's like he is, Jesus is the moment-by-moment sustainer of the universe. So I was just kind of looking around this place, and God created all of this, but then he continues to hold it together. So if he's not in it, it's just all going to fall apart. So I thought that part was, he continues. He not only creates, but he holds it together. Amen. Absolutely. Um, I... Uh, next week we're we're blessed with um, my my dad's going to be going through talking about uh, a, the end of Mark in Sunday school and prepping us for um, uh, prepping us for the his last sermon in Mark and then the week after that we'll get back into um, you'll notice the model or the way this book lays it out as we talk about a attribute or we talk about a um, particular, particular doctrine, and then we talk about it kind of applied or in everyday life. So we're going to look at the omnipotence in everyday life. Um, to me, I think how comforting is that, that this section comes right after talking about, or if you wanted to flip it, work just as well, having talked about the sovereignty of God. Um, and if you're ever in question of the sovereignty of God, and we go through all of this to talk about his omnipotence, uh, I think things are put quite clear, but we'll, we'll get deeper into what omnipotence looks like in everyday life here in a couple of weeks. Um, right now, let's pray and prepare our hearts to, to worship this omnipotent God. God, you say in Isaiah 40, 12 through 14, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a, in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and whom did he made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales, Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lord God, you are a God of the nations. You are a God over all things and in control of all things. And we thank you that you give us scripture so that we might have words that though your power is unsearchable, your greatness is unknowable, yet, Lord, you have given us a glimpse of that knowledge with words that we can rejoice back to you. I pray that this service that we're about to worship in will be a time in which we sing louder and deeper and with more beauty than we ever have before because of the depth and understanding of your omnipotence that you have given us this day. May you be glorified in every aspect of this worship that we offer to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.